Good morning. Good morning. It is awesome to be here. Yes, happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. It's, uh, what an honor to be in this place. God is so good. Uh, first thing I want to do is I want to thank the Western Youth Conference for inviting me to be here. I've been blessed to just be back at Weimar, the place where I used to teach and where all my students used to call me Pastor Steve. Remember all the days of hiking out in the woods and I had a, a long walk yesterday and just reliving past memories from the 1980s and it's just great to be back here at Weimar. Uh, I'd like to ask the ushers to please stand and pass out the cards. We are going to just make this opportunity available to you. If you are interested in Bible studies or preparing for baptism, uh, there's a number of options there on this, car, on this little sheet. And so you can think about that and perhaps fill it out during the meeting. And then, then at the very end, we will be collecting those. Uh, I'm also, just to give you a heads up, going to give an appeal at the end and ask those of you who have not made a 100% decision to give your entire heart to Jesus Christ to just stand to your feet. Now, this is not a, a renewal of a commitment to everybody, so I'm not expecting everybody to stand. But you know who you are. If you look into your heart and you know that you haven't really made a full commitment to Jesus, uh, this, is your, this is your opportunity. This is it. This is another chance for you to make a choice to give your life to Jesus. So I'm going to do that at the end. Uh, two more things. One of them is what you see on the screen here, this website. We are very, very excited about this site. Uh, let me just tell you briefly how this happened. The website is widedisasters.com. After the, the earthquake that hit Japan, I had a strong conviction. And I, I've been convicted many times of many things, and I've, I think I know enough to know when the Lord is talking to my heart. And he was just really convicting me that he wanted a track to be written about disasters that could be given out just widely. And within a short time after that conviction, uh, Nelson Ernst and I were on the phone. He's working with GLOW at the Central California Conference. And we got into a discussion about possible tracks. And I didn't mention it, but he did. He said, Steve, we need a track about disasters. Will you write it? And that was, to me, the double whammy, the double confirmation that the Lord was definitely talking to me. And so I began to work on this. And I prayed, and as I did, uh, I really just sensed the Lord guiding my, my little hands as I worked on my computer and began to type this up. The track will be available in about a week. Okay, Thursday. <laughs> exactly. They have printed a million copies, first print run. They will be available from GLOW and also from Whitehorse Media. Whitehorse Media has created this website. It has four different covers which I think is unique to the GLOW tracks. So one, and you can see the covers there. One cover is a cover of an earthquake, one is a fire, one is a flood, and one is a tornado, and I think a hurricane one is coming. And the idea is that whenever these big disasters hit, for people to take these tracks and pass them out like the leaves of autumn. Amen. Of all the things that I've ever written, and I've written about 25 books, uh, I just have this conviction that more people are going to read this track than anything else that I've ever written. 
Now, as I worked on it, Nelson asked me to do something that I, I would not have thought of. But it was a, it was a God-given uh, instruction. And he said, Steve, as all these disasters continue to increase, eventually people are going to say that these disasters are hitting the world because God is punishing the planet for not keeping Sunday. And we don't want our track to contribute to that movement. And so he said, squeeze the Sabbath into the track. And so that was a, that was a, a Holy Spirit-led suggestion. And... And so I added it to the mix. And as I prayed, uh, I want to tell you, this, little, this is not a track, but it's just one of the glow tracks. This little track on disaster, which has the same, it's the same material with all four covers, it has disasters in it. It's got the angels holding the four winds. Uh, it's got the second coming. It's got a powerful quote right from Ellen White, right in the track, just a quote from her that fits in perfectly how the angels are loosening the winds. These disasters are because the Holy Spirit is being withdrawn from the world. Science seeks to explain all of these things, but the true reason is that we're getting closer to the coming of, of Jesus Christ. And that quote is right in the track. Then it lists the reason why all these disasters are coming is because humanity is breaking the law of God. The Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments are listed right there one by one, including the Seventh-day Sabbath. And then Jesus Christ is lifted up as the Savior to take away our sins of breaking God's law. His love is exalted, that he feels with us, he hurts with us when people go through these kind of disasters. And then there's that one section about Sunday that if you hear in the days ahead misguided religious leaders saying that these disasters are because... Uh, God is punishing the world for not keeping Sunday. Don't be fooled by these arguments. It's the seventh day, Saturday, that is really the Sabbath of the Lord, not the first day of the week. So that seed is planted right there. And finally, there's a strong appeal to people to give their lives to Jesus Christ right now because tomorrow we may be dead. So I tell you, it's just, uh, it's powerful, and it'll be out Thursday, and we encourage uh, ministries and churches and organizations to pick these up. They're not expensive, and just to give them out, I believe it's one of the easiest ways to share the essentials of the third angel's message widely to a public that is very, very interested in why these disasters are taking place. So the door is just wide open for these kind of things. They're going to be translated into languages all over the world, and we're very, very excited about it. And even if you're shy and you don't want to, you know, go out and give it out to somebody at the cash register or at a gas station, you can always take these tracks and stick them, stick them in your phone bills, your electric bills, your, your uh, trash bills. Every bill that you don't pay online that you put a check in should have a track in it. Because one of these days, you could meet someone in heaven who say, I, I work for AT&T, and when you paid that bill, or Pac Bell, uh, I got a track, and I accepted Jesus Christ because of that track. So I want to inspire you to do that. I can't wait to get my hands on these myself and pass them out. Now, one more, uh, where's my little pointer here? I've got one more resource that I want to share with you that Whitehorse Media just produced. It'll be out probably next week as well. We are extremely excited about it. Uh, I think anybody who's involved in any kind of evangelism or ministry with people in the world, you must be aware 
of the fact that our church is fiercely being attacked on the internet with tons of websites that are against the Sabbath, against Seventh-day Adventists, against Ellen White, and the battle is on. And how many times have we you know, had people coming to our meetings or given a Bible study and then had the person grow cold because their mother or father or friend directed them to some website and they, their minds were poisoned against Bible truth? Well, Whitehorse Media has just filmed, and it's being duplicated right now, a brand new resource, which is called Agents of Satan. It is a television series that is being made into a DVD. It is, uh, we filmed it actually in Charles Lawson's living room. Many of you know Charles Lawson. He used to work for, uh, for Amazing Facts. He was very involved with the Final Events DVD. Uh, he's a brilliant television producer. We have a television studio uh, in, in Idaho where we live, but because of we still need some more funds, so it's not quite ready, but we wanted to do this, this project so bad that we set up all the cameras in his living room and just turned his house into a production center. And his wife, Junie, you know, was, couldn't wait till the series was over so, so she could have her house back. And we did this uh, with Pastor Mark Howard. I don't know if you know who Pastor Mark Howard is in the Michigan Conference. He's a godly man. He's done a lot of research on the spirit of prophecy. And so the two of us did this together. And this is the cover of the DVD. It's in four parts. The first part is called Satan's War Against the Ten Commandments. Second part is Satan's War Against the Sabbath. Third part is Satan's War Against the Remnant. And the fourth part is Satan's War Against the Spirit of Prophecy. And it's all based on one verse. Revelation 12, 17, that talks about the dragon being angry with the woman and going out to make war with the remnant who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And it's all based upon the Bible. It's just, it's solid. And it is designed to be shared with the public. It is not, it is not for the choir, if you know what I mean. It's not specifically designed just for Adventists to watch this. It's designed for you to give to new members, to people that are confused that you're studying the Bible with. And it's even designed for those people who are confused to give it to their pastors and their friends. And even Dale Ratzlaff. If uh, Dale, you know, people go on his website and they learn all about the things that are not true about Seventh-day Adventists. He's a former Adventist. Uh, this is the kind of, kind of resource that you could send to him that uh, somebody that's confused could give to their mother and their mother can give it to their pastor, their Baptist pastor, and they can watch it. It's very pastoral. Uh, pastor Mark and I, we go right through the Bible and we appeal to people to really consider what they're doing and, and then to come back to the Bible. And at the very end, we reach out our hands, basically, to all the former Seventh-day Adventists that are out there that are producing these websites, and we encourage them to take our hands and to come back to the truth. So it's, uh, it's very powerful. We're very excited about it. And it'll be available in just, just a few days. Uh, you can read about all these resources on our main website, whitehorsemedia.com. It is absolutely loaded with information. All right. Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 18, verse 1. Revelation 18, 1. And let's have a Bible study about my favorite subject. 
Christ our righteousness. This is just fabulous. Uh, when I first met Ty Gibson, he told me that when he gets really excited, he feels like standing on his head. I don't know whether he actually did that or not, but he said, I'm so excited I could just stand on my head. And when I think about this subject, uh, I, I am just thrilled with the opportunity to share this with you right now. Revelation chapter 18.1 will be our opening text. And again, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Got a great group here. We're filming this for the website, and who knows how many people are going to be watching it and are watching it right now. Dear Father in heaven, dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity that I have again to be here sharing your word and the message of Jesus Christ, our righteousness. And we pray that you will bless our time together. And I pray, as I prayed this morning, uh, Lord, if there's anybody in this group that has not given their hearts to Jesus, may they be impressed by the Holy Spirit to do it today. Lord, use me to win a soul for you today and help us all to understand the power of this message and what we need to say when the, when the final crisis hits. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. All right, I heard a story once about a, one of our early Adventist pioneers that took a walk one day, sometime right after 1844, and he was walking along and he passed another man in a small town on the street, on the road. And this man looked at this Adventist man and said, hey, you, you Adventist, you Adventists are, are little people. You're just little people. And this Adventist man thought about it. And thank the Lord, he had a good spirit about him. And he said the right response. He, he turned around as they crossed each other and he kindly responded. And he said, you're, you're right. We are just little people. We are. But then he said, he had a Bible in his hand, and he held up a Bible, and he said, but we have a big message from God. And isn't that the truth? We are just little people. But God is big, and his word is big. And the message is about him. Revelation 18, verse 1 says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great power, tremendous power. Some Bibles say authority. And it said, the Bible says that the earth was lightened with his glory. The whole earth is one day going to be illuminated and lightened with the glory of God. And I want to be part of this, don't you? We, we often refer to the fulfillment of this verse as the latter rain when the Holy Spirit is finally poured out with power upon God's people and we share this message with the world. And I want to be a part of that. This is like a dream of my life. And one of these days, this verse is going to, is going to be fully fulfilled. The earth is going to be lightened with the glory of God. Now, go back to chapter 14 and let's look at the conclusion of the third angel's message. When you read the writings of Ellen White carefully, you discover that Ellen White identifies the angel coming down from heaven in Revelation 18.1 to give final power to the third angel's message. That's what she says. It's a special 
end time boost of spiritual power, of energy, to give the final third angel's message to the world. And the third angel's message concludes with verse 12. Verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that do two things. What's the first thing they do? It says, right, they keep the commandments of God, which means they, they're commandment keepers and they lift up God's law. And what's the second thing they do? Right, it says they have the faith of Jesus. And I like the fact that what's the last word before the period at the end of the third angel's message? It's Jesus, that's right. He's the last word before the period. And God's people will then lift up Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. This is the third angel's message, the conclusion, the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you continue to study this subject, you will discover that the fourth angel in Revelation 18.1, the latter rain angel, or that, that symbol representing the Holy Spirit being poured out, that he gives power to the third angel's message, especially to the proclamation of the message of Christ our righteousness. Now, I'm going to show you a quotation. Okay, here's the verse I just read. Take a look at this quote. And those of you that are on this side, sorry that we don't have two screens. But you can still hear the quote. This is sixth volume of the testimonies. This has burned into my soul. Look at this. It says, the Lord God of heaven will not send upon the world his judgments for disobedience and transgression until he has sent his watchmen to give the warning. He will not close up the period of probation until the message shall be what? More distinctly proclaimed. Right, and we need to get that right. More distinctly proclaimed. And then it says the law of God is to be magnified. That's the first half of verse 12. The commandments of God need to be lifted up. And then it says its claims must be presented in their true and sacred character that the people may be brought to decide for or against the truth. And then it says, yet the work will be cut short in righteousness. Now look at this last, these last two sentences. The message of Christ's righteousness is to sound from one end of the earth to the other to prepare the way of the Lord. This is the glory of God which closes the work of the third angel. Does that speak to your heart? I tell you, it's just, it's just burned into me that the latter rain angel gives power to the third angel's message, and at the heart of the third angel's message is the message of Christ's righteousness, which is to sound all over the planet. And that's what closes the work of the third angel. And this is, brothers and sisters, this is going to happen. Whether we believe it or not, or whether we're part of it or not, it's going to happen. It is impossible for the work of God to finish in this world without this happening. And I'm going to explain to you exactly how it's going to happen in the time that I've got left. And I am so excited about this that I could stand on my head. 
I tell you, this is just so, so fantastic. Now, let me clarify something. When the message of Christ's righteousness goes out to the whole world during the final closing moments of time and sounds from one end of the, of the earth to the other end of the earth, that message is going to be preached from the Bible. I believe in the spirit of prophecy. The purpose of the spirit of prophecy is to point us to the Bible and to teach us a lot of things. But when the final message goes to the world and we're giving it on, on Fox News and on CNN and on all the major networks, we're going to be doing it not by holding up volume 6 and reading page 19. We're going to be doing it by opening up our Bibles and teaching this message from the Bible. And it's right here in God's Word, right here. And I'll show you that right now. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 3. Let's have a Bible study. Let's study our Bibles. Let's study God's end time message. The message of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're going to start with Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Romans 1, among other things, talks about the Gentile world and how it's totally lost. Romans 2, among other things, talks about the Jewish world and how it is totally lost. And then Romans 3 puts the Jewish world and the Gentile world together and says the whole world is lost. And in verse 10, Paul wrote, as it is written, quoting the Old Testament, there, is, there are a few righteous in every church. Just a few. Is that right? No, that's not right. That's not what Paul says. There's, there's one or two righteous in every church. No, that's not what Paul says. Have you ever heard the expression, what kind, what, how, how does it go? Uh, what part of the word no don't you understand? Have you ever heard that? Paul says there is none righteous, no. No, 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 no. And to make sure we got the point, he said no, not one. Not even one. Now, in order to understand this verse, you have to understand the meaning of the word righteous. And if you do a Bible study on righteous or righteousness, and let me just give you some quick texts. We're not going to read them. We're not going to look at them, but I'll just give them to you. Isaiah 51, verse 7. Psalm 119, verse 172. Romans 8, 4. And Romans 9, 31 and 32. All of these verses... When you look at them carefully, they tell you that righteousness is the law of God. That the law of God is righteous. Righteousness. Uh, Romans 9.31, Paul talks about the law of righteousness. He says, Israel pursued the law of righteousness, but they didn't, they didn't attain to it. And the reason why they didn't attain to it was because they didn't seek it by faith in Jesus Christ. That's why they never got it. Or at least those among them that didn't get it, that's why they didn't get it. So all of these verses, Romans 8, 4, talks about uh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. So very clear from the Bible that righteousness is defined by the standard of God's law, particularly the Ten Commandments. Now what Paul is basically saying is that when when the world compares its character to the law of God, 
It doesn't meet up. It's not righteous. Jews aren't righteous. Gentiles aren't righteous. Nobody is righteous from birth to grave. No one has lived a life of perfect righteousness to the law of God from the beginning to the end of their life. Not one single human being on planet Earth has ever done that. And that includes you. And that includes me. And I'll clarify, there actually is one person but it's not you or me. And we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Romans 3, 19. Verse 19 says, Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law, which means under its authority, that every Jewish mouth may be stopped. Did I read that right? No. It doesn't say every Jewish mouth. A lot of people think the law of God was just for the Jews. Not true. Not true. The word Jew isn't in the Ten Commandments. Neither is the word Israel. The Ten Commandments were written on stone with the finger of God for the whole world. The word stranger is in the Ten Commandments. It applies to everybody. Paul says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. What that means is that when we look at the Ten Commandments, and if we allow the Holy Spirit to talk to our hearts, the first commandment, no other gods before God, he's to be number one in our lives. The second commandment, no idols. The third commandment, don't take God's name in vain. We can take his name in vain by calling ourselves Christians and living like the devil. There's lots of ways we can break God's law. Number four, keep the Sabbath holy, which means more than just going to church on the right day. It means to really keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, don't murder. And that applies to even hate. And it also applies to murdering ourselves by our uh, unhealthy health habits. We can murder and break God's law by killing ourselves by the way we live. Number seven, don't commit adultery, which basically in its essential meaning means to be pure sexually, absolutely pure. If you're married, be devoted to your spouse alone. If you're not married, wait until you get married before you do what married couples do. And guard your mind and keep it pure. Jesus said that if we look lustfully after a, a woman, or I think that applies to a woman, to a man, we have committed adultery in our hearts. God's law is deep. It goes way down into the mind and into the heart, into the deep sins of the soul. Commandment number eight, don't steal. Number nine, don't bear false witness, which means don't lie. Don't say anything about anybody ever that's not the truth. Number 10, don't covet. And Jesus summarized the big 10 with the big two. To love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus applied our neighbor to anybody who needs our help. So I think it's pretty, it's pretty obvious if you look at the Ten Commandments carefully and let the Holy Spirit really talk to your heart, you realize you're a lawbreaker. 
We've broken God's law. The whole world has done that, including you and including me. And the appropriate response before the law of God in verse 19 is for our mouths to be stopped, for us to be silent before the Lord. And then it says that the whole world in the light of the law may become guilty before God. Do you see that? Guilty before God. That means that in God's sight, in the sight of his moral law, we are guilty and accountable before him and him alone, ultimately. And it applies to every one of us. Verse 20, Paul builds his case. He says, therefore, in the light of what I just shared with you, what the Bible says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, which means by trying to keep the law, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh, and that means nobody, shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Now, the word justified means the opposite of the end of verse 19, guilty before God. People who are guilty before God cannot be justified, which means they're no longer guilty before God. Their guilt is removed, and they stand before God in total innocence. That cannot happen by the deeds of the law or any, any other way. People sometimes try to get rid of their guilt by drugs, sex, alcohol, television, entering a fantasy world, therapy, psychology, and some people try to get rid of their guilt by obedience, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You cannot remove your guilt by being good. It's impossible. Imagine a person who committed a crime, who committed murder. He killed somebody, and he got arrested, and he's thrown into jail, and he's there for six months, and six months later, he's brought out before the judge. And the judge says, did you do it? Did you pull that trigger? And did you kill that man? And the, and the man confesses with his prison suit on. He says, Your Honor, I did it. I admit it. But, I got a but here. He says, but, Your Honor, for the last six months, I've been sitting in my cell, and I haven't murdered anybody. I've been obedient to the law for the last six months. Your Honor, won't you justify me and declare me to be not guilty? What's a good judge going to say? Not a chance. It doesn't matter if you've been in your prison cell obedient for a year or five years or ten years. No amount of obedience is going to take away the guilt of the crime of what you committed. And that's what Paul's saying. By the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. And the, the biggest concern that we need to have is God's sight, not man's sight. It's what does God think. And God says that you cannot be justified or clear in his sight once you're guilty by anything you do. No amount of obedience can remove that guilt. Not even keeping the law. Now, some people say, oh, they read this and they say, well, that means the law is gone. No, that's not what Paul's saying. At the end of the verse, he says, for by the law is the what? It's, it, it gives us the knowledge of sin. 
In other words, when we look at the Ten Commandments square in the face, it reveals to us our condition that we're sinners. We're sinners. It's not the most popular word these days uh, to be a sinner, but the fact is that you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. We have been sinners. I mean, even after Paul became a Christian, he still said, uh, God, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am chief. He recognized that he had broken God's law, and if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, he would be lost. He would be totally lost. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, that's, the, that's what I call the bad news. But thank God the Bible doesn't end with the bad news. Are you ready for some good news? Amen. Hallelujah. So am I. But you know what? If we don't know the bad news, we're not going to appreciate the good news. If we don't understand the law, we're not going to appreciate grace. Grace is meaningless without law. The gospel's meaningless unless we understand that we're guilty before God and we need a Savior. This is basic. This is basic. All right, now let's go to the good news. Verse 21, Paul says, but now... And he said, but now in verse 19, now the law is lifted up, which is the first half of the third angel's message, the conclusion of it. And then verse 21, he says, but now the righteousness of who? The righteousness of God. Whose righteousness do we need? We need the righteousness of God. And now he lifts up the righteousness of God. And he says, without the law, which means that it is apart from the law, it's separate from the law, the righteousness of God is available to us from another location other than the law. That's what he's saying. Now the righteousness of God without the law is being manifested. It's being revealed. And it's witnessed by the law and the prophets which means the law witnesses to the righteousness of God, which comes from somewhere else, and the, and the law looks at that righteousness and says, that's it. That's the righteousness that I require. Now, where did we get that righteousness? Verse 22 says, even the righteousness of God. Now, there's a second time it says that. The righteousness of God, which is by faith, of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. Whether Jew or Gentile, whether Seventh-day Adventist or Baptist, whether Catholic or witch, whether Muslim or um, any kind of tribal religion or atheist, we're all in the same boat and we all need the righteousness of God that can only come through Jesus Christ. Why is Jesus called the Lord our righteousness? Because he is our righteousness. That's right. I'll explain this to you. I've done a, a lot of research and a lot of reading, and I did it when I was here at Weimar teaching Academy Bible in 1986, 87 through 89. I did a lot of research in the writings of two young men from California. Some good things can come out of California. And one of them's name was Alonzo T. Jones, and the other one was Elliot J. Wagoner in the 1880s and 90s. And I've read a whole lot of what they wrote. And finally, piece by piece, point by point, the pieces came together, and it all made sense. The lights went on. 
And uh, I remember reading one of the sermons of A.T. Jones. And he talked about Jesus being born in Bethlehem and then growing up and then as a 12-year-old boy obeying the fifth commandment when it says in Luke 2 that he was subject to Joseph and Mary. He obeyed the fifth commandment. And Jones said something like, uh, when Jesus chose as a little boy to keep the fifth commandment, he was weaving a stitch in a robe of righteousness for you and for me. And he went along through his life and talked about how when he was, after he was baptized and he, when he was in the wilderness and Satan tempted him three times to, to sin, to break God's law. And every time Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written, I'm putting my father first. I'm not going to worship any gods but the Lord only and, ke and, ke and keep the first commandment. Every time Jesus said, it is written, he wove another stitch in a robe of in his humanity. He robe a stitch in the robe of righteousness for you. When he kept the Sabbath, in Luke 4, it says that he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. This was his regular custom. He did this all throughout his life. Every Sabbath that Jesus kept and obeyed the fourth commandment, he wove a Sabbath-keeping stitch in a robe of righteousness for you. Every time he said, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth, and he didn't lie, and he kept the ninth commandment, he wove another stitch. Every time he resisted temptation, all throughout his life, from the first dawn of consciousness when he was able to resist temptation to the very end of his life when he said, it is finished while he hung upon the cross, he was living a perfect life of obedience to the law of God, stitch by stitch by stitch, and he did it for you. And he did it for me. Because he loves us. Hallelujah. He had you in mind. He had me in mind every time he chose to keep the righteousness of the law. Verse 25 says, whom God has set forth God has set Jesus forth to be a propitiation or, a, or a, a mercy seat through faith in his blood, through faith in his blood to declare, and what does Paul say he's declaring? To declare whose righteousness? His righteousness. There's the third time it says it. For the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And just to make sure we don't miss it, he said it the fourth time in verse 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness. Now, I like to mark my Bible. I don't know if you mark your Bibles or not, but I like to mark my Bible. And I see the righteousness of God. I've underlined that in verse 22, verse 21, verse 22, the righteousness of God. Verse 25, his righteousness. Verse 26, his righteousness four times. In these verses, Paul talks about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Is this message in the Bible? It's right there in the Bible. And the context is the law of God. Of our guilt before the Lord, he then lifts up Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And then he says in verse 26, that he might be just, that the Lord might be just, and the justifier, which means he takes away the guilt of him which believeth in Jesus. 
you see that? What Paul's doing is he's saying God can still maintain his law. He can maintain the justice of his law and be just, and yet he can justify the person who believes in Jesus Christ because Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly on your behalf, and not only that, at the end of his life, he took your sin in Gethsemane and on the cross, and he paid the entire price for everything you've ever done. And if you repent and believe in him as your righteousness alone, trusting in him alone, God can maintain his justice, and yet he can justify you, which means he can take 33 years of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he can apply it to your personal account in the books of record in heaven. So that when God looks at your record, he sees the righteousness of his son. He sees the righteousness of his son. 33 years of perfect righteousness. Now, I, I, once I, was, I preached on this, and somebody wrote me afterwards or said to me, he said, what if, I'm, uh, what if I'm 52? Will 33 years cover my life when I'm 52? And my answer is, oh, yes. 33 years of righteousness will cover the whole world if the world is willing to choose to turn away from sin and trust in Jesus. Oh, yes, it'll cover you. Imagine if you, uh, when you left this convention, this conference, and you went home and you checked your bank account, and you found out that someone had made a deposit in your account of $100 million. Would you have a, a good day <laughs> the rest of the day? You know, all of us, our ministries are all in need of funds. Every ministry in this world needs funds, and personally, we all need funds. And imagine you had $100 million applied in your bank account as a free gift, and there it was. Would, it, would, it give, would, it, would you have a good day? You better believe you would. Sure you would. It would lift you up. And, and, and what if you knew that when you choose to surrender your life to Jesus and trust in him, like it says, that God will be just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. You choose to believe in Jesus Christ as your savior, that God will then give you the eternal righteousness of his son as a free gift, and he will pronounce you just before him in the sight of the whole universe. So you can stand before the law of God as if you never sinned. Shouldn't we be having a good day as a result of that? Well, I tell you, now go to chapter 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I compare that verse to Romans 3.19, where it talks about people being guilty before God. But this verse says, now you can have peace with God. Is there a difference between being guilty before God and having peace with God? There's a huge difference. You, are now, you now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because you trust in him. And this is what he does. The importance is what God does and what happens in his sight. When the day of judgment comes and we all stand before, you know, the great white throne at the very end, at least at the end of the millennium, the lost are going to stand there. What would have been most important would for them to be justified in God's sight. And they're not at the end of the millennium, so they're lost. But if we're justified in God's sight, 
then it doesn't matter what man says. You're clear before your Lord. In the, in the words of Ellen White, she says, uh, God will pronounce you just before the entire universe. I tell you, that's powerful. We have peace with God through our faith in Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him. Now look at verse 5. 5 says, hope does not make us ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad into our hearts. Some verses say, poured out into our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Now, verse 1 talks about how we're justified by faith in Jesus. And let me go to, I'll make sure show you my next slide about the blood. Through faith in his blood, Paul also talked about in Romans 3.25. When we have faith in Jesus Christ and in his blood and trust in him and not in ourselves, and we're justified before God, verse 1, 5, 1, then verse 5 says the Holy Spirit is poured out. You see that? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in verse 5 is based upon verse 1. The justification that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. That's verse 1. And then verse 5 talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into your heart. The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. He brings the love of God into our hearts. If God looks at you and says, you're, you're not guilty anymore. You're clothed with the robe of the righteousness of my son. I tell you, would that bring some love into your heart? Oh, man, I tell you, it brings love into people's hearts. Now, what happens when the love comes into people's hearts? Look at Romans 8, verse 4. When the love of Jesus is poured out into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, because we trust in Jesus Christ and not in ourselves, what happens? What about the law? What about the law? Verse 4, 8, 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Then the law of God, then we can obey because now we're justified, we have the Holy Spirit, and now we can obey. Now we don't have to be like a hamster running around and around and around in a little wheel, you know, trying to get somewhere and getting nowhere. Uh, in Idaho, some time ago, I have a, I've got a wood-burning stove. That's where we live in North Idaho. We burn wood for the, for the winter. And um, the first winter we got there, we had burned a lot of wood. And I opened my stove one day, and the smoke, instead of going up the chimney, went into my house. And I couldn't figure this out. I'm a California boy. I haven't burned a lot of wood. And I couldn't figure this out. I grew up in L.A. And I thought, what's going on? So I talked to my pastor, and I talked to a few people. And finally, I figured out I need to get a ladder and climb up on top of my roof. And I went on top of my roof, and I looked at the top of the little chimney, and I took off the cap and looked at the screen, and it was covered in soot. It was all black. And now I knew why the smoke wasn't going out, but it was coming into my house. I had a big problem in my house. I had smoke in my house. Now, what, where was the solution to my problem? Was the solution to my problem to try to clean things up inside my house? Or was the solution to my problem on top of my roof? Get it? The solution to my problem was up there, not down here. And it's the same thing with the same way with the smoke in our lives. The spiritual smoke, the problems, the sins, the difficulties, the guilt. The solution to our problems is not in here. The solution is up there. And when we trust in Jesus Christ and his righteousness is given to us as a gift, then things clear up down here. 
That's the divine order in the book of Romans. And then when things clear up down here, then we can obey the law of God. That's the only way it can ever happen. Only way. Now, go back to Revelation 14. And I gotta, I've got a little more time left, and I'm moving into my punchline. Because I don't want to leave you in Romans. The, the genius of the preaching of Jones and Wagner in the 1880s, in Seventh-day Adventist history, the genius of their preaching was they preached the law of God and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is in Romans and Galatians. And then they brought it in to the third angel's message. That's what they did. And Ellen White was thrilled with their preaching. They brought it in. Now, here you see a picture of September 11. Why is September 11 so important? I'll tell you, there's a, very, there's a big significance to 911. And I'm not going to go off into heresy right now. I'm going to tell you something very, very important. Who knows, who remembers what day September 11 fell on of the week? Tuesday. Tuesday, that's right. Now, that was a big crisis in America and in the world. Because whatever happens in, a, in the financial center of the United States can affect the world's economy. And uh, that was on a Tuesday. On Friday, three days later, there was a big gathering in Washington, D.C. at the... Uh, at the the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. And presidents were there, congressmen were there, senators were there, Billy Graham was there, uh, a Catholic cardinal was there, a rabbi was there, an imam was there, Billy Graham preached to the crowd. I watched it on TV, and they were all praying and coming together, trying to come together in some kind of unity and praying to God to help us in this crisis. And I looked at that, and I thought, crisis on Tuesday, unity on Friday. And I, I, I believe in, you know, praying but I was just watching this. Now then, what happened two days later? Two days later was what day? Sunday. You want to know what happened two days later? Church attendance in America went through the roof. There were more people in church on Sunday the following after September 11 that probably had ever been to church in the history of America on that one Sunday. And it wasn't just in America, but it was around the world. People were going to church in Australia because they knew this was a crisis and people were going, going to church. And I looked at that and I saw the significance of September 11 right there. Crisis on Tuesday, unity on Friday, Sunday attendance going through the roof five days later. Crisis, unity, Sunday. Crisis, unity, Sunday. Crisis, unity, Sunday. That's what happened. And I thought about the final days, and I saw that's a window. It's a window of what's coming. That's the significance right there. One of these days, we're going to go into a bigger crisis than what happened on 911. And nobody really knows what's going to be the spark of that crisis. It may be a continual series of natural disasters. I tell you, if we get hit with a few more disasters, you know, a, big, a couple big earthquakes on each coast and in the Midwest, and a big hurricane, and a huge fire, and more tornadoes, I tell you, this country is going to come to its knees. And it can happen very quickly. And when that time comes and that crisis hits, people, when crisis really gets bad, 
they're going to be going to church on Sunday, you can guarantee it. Guarantee it. And if the, if the disasters increase and the country really gets hit hard, I can guarantee you Sunday attendance will be followed by unity and eventually by Sunday legislation. There's just no doubt in my mind that's what's going to happen. It, it's just as clear as clear can be that we're going to run into Sunday legislation as a result of a crisis one of these days. Now, when that time comes, when we all of a sudden find ourselves in the midst of, of a Sunday law crisis, and people say to me, you know, look at this, look at that, uh, about Sunday here and Sunday there. These are all just small things. When Sunday's being discussed on Fox News and CNN and on the major networks, then we know we're really close. And that's going to happen. And when that time comes, when that time comes, what are we going to say to the world? When the whole world is moving in the direction of Sunday legislation and the enforcement of the mark of the beast, which is exactly what's going to happen, the question is, what do we do and what do we say? When, we, when we're brought before the courts and we're brought before the media and we stand in front of the, you know, the crowds, White Horse Media, by the grace of God, we're going to send out a press release, and I plan on getting on all kinds of radio shows discussing Sunday sacredness. I've been on hundreds and hundreds of radio shows. Got a good friend of mine who's a Catholic talk show host, KDKA in Pennsylvania. He's got a big show. And I just sent him a copy of Desire of Ages. Good friend of mine. He's, he's had me on as a guest many times to discuss many things. And when Sunday is enforced by law, I'm going to send him an email directly and say, Rob, you've got to have me on your show. I've got to discuss this with your, with your audience in Pittsburgh. And when this happens, I tell you, when we are all of a sudden faced with this crisis, what are we going to say? Well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to lift up the Ten Commandments. We're going to point people to the law of God. We're going to say, we're going to tell the media. We're going to tell our friends. We're going to tell our neighbors. We're going to tell everybody we know. Look at, look at Exodus 20. Take a look at the Ten Commandments. One, two, three, four. The Bible says the seventh day is the Sabbath, not the first day of the week. And we're going to tell people that. And so the law of God is going to be lifted up before the world. But if we then do that and if we say, look, you've got, you've got the wrong day. You need to switch over from Sunday to Saturday and you'll be fine. If we just leave them hanging there, we've, we've messed up. We've missed the boat. We've, we've failed in our prophetic mission. When we lift up the law of God at that final time, lifting up the Ten Commandments, we're not just going to show people that they're breaking the Fourth Commandment. They're going to see by the Holy Spirit they're breaking the Fifth One too, and the Sixth One, and the First One, and the Ninth One, and the Tenth One. And people are going to see that they're guilty before God for breaking His law, and that no amount of switching days or obedience is going to take away their guilt. Got it? Are you listening? And so then, what, who needs to be lifted up? That's right. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. The issue is the law of God. And when the world sees the law of God and realizes that they're guilty, we've got to lift up Jesus Christ as the world's only hope. And that's when 1619 is going to come right into play. And we're going to be reading it right from our Bibles. 
And we're going to, it says right here, the message of Christ's righteousness is to sound from one end of the earth to the other to prepare the way of the Lord. This is the glory of God that will close the work of the third angels. Brothers and sisters, this is our message. This is it. We don't need to be diverted to all kinds of other messages. This is our message. And when you boil it down, I, I like to make it real simple. Two mountains, Mount Sinai, Mount Calvary. We lift up the law of God, and then we lift up Jesus Christ. Yes, we're going to warn about the beast. Yes, we're going to warn about the image. Yes, we're going to warn about the mark. Yes, we're going to be going right through the prophecy exactly as it reads and explaining it. But the conclusion is to lift up the Ten Commandments and then to lift up Jesus Christ as our righteousness. Verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I want to tell you that commandment keepers, those who become part of this verse, commandment keepers are born through faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot just become a commandment keeper by trying to become a commandment keeper. You need a savior. You have to trust in Jesus Christ first as your only hope. And as you do that, then he gives you his spirit. Then you can then be born. And you're on vantage ground. And with, with the righteousness of Christ all around you and covering you as a perfect white robe of righteousness, you can then have the Holy Spirit and you can then and only then begin to obey because the love of Jesus is in your heart. And so commandment keepers will be born during the final crisis. Somebody once asked Ellen White, what do you think of this message? These two uh, men are, these California boys are teaching about justification by faith, which was kind of new to them. And she said, it's the third angel's message in verity. And now you understand how that's true. What I'm telling you right now I am totally convinced is absolutely true. You are not hearing error from this pulpit right now. You are not. You are hearing Bible truth. You're hearing God's truth. And I believe it with all my soul that we're here for a reason. We all need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If you are, if you are someone that has never fully trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you're lost. You're lost. You may have been an Adventist all your life. You may think you're you know, fairly good, not going out and doing all kinds of things, but in the light of the holy law of God, in the, in the Lord's sight, you're lost. And you need a savior. You need Jesus and his righteousness as a free gift to cover your life, to forgive your sins, and the Holy Spirit to come in. And I tell you, if you do not accept this message, this is your only hope. If you, do you want to live forever? Do you want to get out of this life? Do you want your life to be longer than just a few tiny years and live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever? If you do, this is your only hope. It's your only hope. You have no other hope. This is it. That hope is Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And that's why I'm going to appeal to you. I'm going to tell you one more story. And then I'm going to make my closing appeal. And I'm going to ask those of you who know you need to make a decision today 
to just stand up. I'm not asking everybody to stand up. Just those of you that know you need to make a choice today to surrender your life to Jesus. I heard a story once that came out of the Korean War. My dad was in the Korean War in the 1950s. Thank God he came out or I wouldn't have been born and you'd be listening to somebody else right now. During the Korean War, a group of communist soldiers swept down from the north, North Korea, into South Korea and took over a small Korean village. And these were hardened soldiers, hardened communists. And they took over this village and they decided to have fun with the Christians. So they, they found a little church inside that village and they gathered the Christians together who went to that church and they put them all inside that church and they took a picture of Jesus. They found a picture of Jesus and they, they painted it on the outside. Not quite yet. Hold on. <laughs> Wait till my punchline. Thank you. <laughs> He's anxious. Anyway, they put, a painting, uh, they put a painting of Jesus on the outside of the church and this is what they did. They stood outside of that church with rifles right at the door, pointing at the door, and they commanded the Christians one by one to walk out of the church and to spit on the picture of Christ. And if they didn't spit on it, they'd be shot dead right on the spot. Talk about trials. Talk about crisis. And so the first Christian walked out of that church and he looked at the rifles pointing right at his head. And this man was a family man, and he, he believed in Jesus, but he just wasn't ready for this. He wasn't ready. And he reluctantly walked over to the picture of Jesus, and he spit on it, and they let him go. The second Christian walked out of the church and looked at the rifles pointing right at his head. He looked at those rifles, and he, he didn't want to do it, but he, wasn't, he just wasn't you know, really ready for this. He wasn't ready to die. So he walked over to the picture and spit on it and they let him go. The third Christian did the same thing. The fourth Christian to walk out of that church at the command of those soldiers was a young girl about 14 years old wearing a dress. She walked out and she looked at those rifles pointing right at her head. And she knew exactly what she was going to do. She walked over to the picture of Jesus. She saw that spit dripping down. And she took her dress in her part of her sleeve in her hand and she wiped that spit off that picture. Wiped it all off. And then she walked back over to the front of that church and she looked right at those rifles. And then she prayed a little prayer. She said, Jesus, she closed her eyes, Jesus, you died for me. I'm willing to die for you. And she kept her eyes closed and she waited for the bullets. And she waited for the bullets. And she waited for the bullets. Silence. Those bullets never came. They never came. Those soldiers, communist as they were, hardened as they were, they were so moved by what they saw that they got together in a little huddle. <laughs> <laughs> and they talked about this. And even though they weren't Christians, they just couldn't help but respect the courage of this girl in standing up for what she believed. And then they, they changed their, their minds. And they went out and they got the three boys, the men that had spit on the picture, 
and they lined them up against the wall and they shot them dead. They shot them dead because those men didn't have the courage to stand up for what they believed. You know, if that train were to go by again and hear that whistle, I would say to you, that's the call of the Lord talking to your heart that what you're hearing is God's truth. He loves you and he wants you. Jesus went through 33 years of suffering, of agony, of resisting temptation, of weaving a perfect robe of righteousness, and then agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then having his hand stretched out upon a cruel cross for six hours, being separated from his Father, and he did it all for you. What's more important to you than him? What are you waiting for? Is Hollywood more important to you? Are your friends more important to you? Is money more important to you? Are your bad habits more important to you? Is your cell phone, your computer, the internet, movies, are all of these things more important to you than the one who gave his life on a cross to save you from sin so you could live with him forever? Those things are more important to you. You're making a big mistake, a big one. And if you make the right choice and trust in Jesus as your savior, it's the best choice you'll ever make. And I love this slide, touches my heart. Spirit and the bride say, come. One of these days, Jesus is gonna come for those that stand for him and he's gonna embrace us He's going gonna, gonna to give you a big hug. And I tell you, there's no hug like the hug of your Savior. No hug like that. My little daughter is three years old, and I was on the trampoline with her recently, and I looked up at the beautiful blue sky in North Idaho, and I said, Abby, look at how beautiful it is. I said, Jesus is up there, and he's looking at you, and he loves you. And she, my little girl, with her blue eyes and blonde hair, she said, Daddy, Jesus is going to come down from heaven and he's going to take me to heaven, and he's going to give me a big hug. That's what she said. So how about you? How about you? If, you're, if you haven't made the decision, and you know you need to make it, you may die tonight. You know, lots of people go to bed at night, and they don't wake up. You don't know when the big one is going to hit California could be tonight. You don't know what's going to happen to you. But right now, you have a chance. Right now. I did it. I did it. 32 years ago, I said, Jesus, I want you. I want you more than I want the world and my marijuana, my cocaine, my alcohol, my Black Sabbath uh, music. I want you. And it was the best decision I ever made best decision ever made. So I'm going to invite you right now. If you know, yes, that's it. <laughs> Thank you. Forgot you were there. Now's your chance. Right now. 
show the Lord that he didn't suffer in vain for you, that you want to live with him forever, that you want his perfect white robe to cover your sins, that you want to stand innocent before God as if you never sinned. If you want to do that, just stand up right now. Not everybody, but those of you that know you need to do it, stand up. Praise God, brother and sister and gentlemen, <laughs> each of you, hallelujah. This is it. If you're one of those people, stand up for Jesus. He stood up for you. He stood up for you. He died for you. Hallelujah. Praise God. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's pray. Dear Father, Holy Father, thank you so much for the chance that I've had today to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Christ's righteousness with this group. And we just pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us, to prepare us, to give your message with a loud voice to the whole world. And I pray for these people that are standing up. Jesus, you, I prayed today, I said this morning, Lord, use me to win a soul for you. And here they are. Here they are. Thank you, Lord. Bless these men and women who have stood up. Clothe them with your robe of righteousness. Lord, prepare us all for the glorious days ahead when we're going to give the message with a loud voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.